weeks, we've been talking about uh, Christ's call to discipleship and how Christ's call to discipleship is a call to absolute surrender, how he asks us to give up our hopes and dreams in favor of his plans and his purpose for us. Last week, we looked at that illustration that Jesus gave about two kings, one king ready to go to war against another king, the one king has 20,000, and the, one, the other one has 10,000. And so the one with 10,000 has to come to a conclusion about what he needs to do. And of course, Jesus said what that king needs to do, the lesser king, he needs to go and ask for terms of peace. And terms of peace are dictated by the greater king to the lesser king. Jesus is the greater king. He dictates the terms of peace to us. He tells us what to do. We began this series by looking at the story of an Old Testament king whose name was Ahab and how Ahab uh, had to surrender to a king or he really didn't have to, but he did and he issued the words of absolute surrender which we're using as uh, an example. He said, it is according to your word, uh, O Lord, my king, I am yours and all that I have. And while he said those words to a heathen king, they're words that should have been reserved for God alone. And those are the words that should express our absolute surrender to God. Between a man and God, absolute surrender is an admission of our absolute weakness in uh, the face of his absolute power, our absolute sinfulness in the face of his absolute righteousness, and our absolute emptiness in the face of his absolute sufficiency. Now, to understand this this morning, I want us to consider the absolute surrender of Peter. Now, Peter, as you know, is one of the disciples in the New Testament, and Peter uh, initially followed Christ. Uh, began the journey like most of us begin the journey, like Lorelai began the journey this morning. As you know, Lorelai is going to grow in her own commitment to the Lord. And hopefully you and I are growing in our own commitment to the Lord and in the level of our surrender to Him. Peter had to do that as well. And that's what I'd like to show you from the story of his life in the New Testament. Uh, last week, we dropped the plumb line of God's Word along our lives. We saw that true discipleship is meeting the terms of peace, the conditions of surrender required by God, because Jesus said in the last verse of Luke chapter 14, or in that last verse that we considered, Luke 14, 33, No one of you can be my disciple unless he is willing to give up all of his own possessions. Now, if you're honest, many of you would have to say that you have not yet come to such a point of surrender. Whatever commitment that you might have made to the Lord Jesus Christ is, as of yet, incomplete. It is inferior. Uh, so, Jesus didn't cast Peter out because of his inferior commitment, and that's what I'm going to show you, that in the beginning his commitment was inferior. But he did bring, himself, bring Peter face to face with that inferior commitment in his own life, allowing him to learn that he needed to make a greater, stronger, deeper commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we want to begin by looking at the beginning of Peter's journey in following Jesus as we consider, number one, Peter's great commitment. Peter's great commitment. We find that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 
through 20. I'm sure you know that story as Jesus, as Jesus was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter and Andrew were, were on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I want you to notice, in that very statement, Jesus said, this is going to be a process. There's going to have to be some shaping in your life. You follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. They began the journey of following Jesus. Peter made a great commitment. Uh, and straight away, the Bible says, they left their nets and they followed him. That's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. That was the beginning of Peter's great commitment to Christ. And if you'd ask him uh, if he had about the nature of his commitment and the level of his surrender, Peter would have said to you at that time, I have left my career, I've left my nets, my surrender to Christ is absolute. On one occasion, Jesus was speaking with a rich young man. You might remember that story in the scripture. And uh, he desired to follow Jesus. And Jesus, uh, testing the level of his willingness to surrender, Jesus said to that young man, he said, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. And the young man had great possessions. Now, what if Jesus asked you, you're, you're graduates, you are graduating from high school, what if he asked you to do that today as a young graduate? Give me your dreams. Give me your plans. Give me your future. Would you say, it is according to your word, O Lord, my King, I am yours and all that I have. That young man, the Bible says, knowing that Jesus was calling for absolute surrender, could not yield up that level of commitment. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful. In the very next breath, Peter, uh, measuring his own surrender against that young man's, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, Peter said of his own commitment, he said, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. That was a measure of surrender on Peter's part, which, as you see, he considered to be absolute. He left his nets and his career, but there was much more for Peter to surrender, and there's much more for you and I to surrender. So, many of us have come to a moment in time when we heard Christ call to follow him. Maybe you were 8 years old, maybe you were 18 years old. Jesus spoke to you and said, follow me. And you started the journey of following him. And Jesus began the journey of shaping your life into the fullness of what he expected as a disciple of Christ. And along the way, you yielded some things to him. You gave him some things. You gave up some things. And some things you held on to. You made a measure of surrender. You made a measure of commitment. But as of yet, as of this day, it is an incomplete, inferior commitment to Christ. You have not said, it is according to your word, my Lord, O King, I am yours and all that I have. And, and yet that is exactly what Jesus expects. So, not only did Peter have a moment in life where he made a great commitment, Peter had a great confession. And that's the second thing that we want to consider. Many people in Peter's day, were confused about Jesus. They didn't know who he was or why he had come. Some people were saying one thing. Some people were saying another. But Peter said, and here's his great confession, Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. You probably know it if you know anything about the New Testament. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. That is what Peter believed about Jesus. He understood who Jesus was. He knew he was sent from God. He knew that Jesus should be Lord of his life and Lord of all of his life. Peter could admit that with his lips. But Jesus was still not fully Lord in Peter's heart. Now I want to ask you a question. Isn't it so with some of you that you could say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. I believe that Jesus is King of kings, King of kings and Lord of lords, and that He should be Lord of all in my life. But I have to admit that He is not Lord of all in my life. So we're just making a sweeping look at Peter's life, the great commitment, the moment he followed Jesus, the great confession when he, he distinguished Jesus from all the other religious teachers and leaders who were on the face of the earth at that time. Peter said of Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know that. You should be Lord of all in my life. I know that. And then we look at Peter's great confidence. Peter was very sure of himself. Very sure of his commitment to Christ. Maybe you're sure of your own commitment to Christ, even as you sit here today. If I ask you about your salvation, and you say, tell me, well, I got baptized when I was eight years old, just like Lorelai. I made a decision to follow Jesus, just like she did, or some other point in my life, and I think I'm pretty safe. I think I'm okay, because I've got a great commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've made a great confession, and I have great confidence in the level of my own commitment and the level of my own surrender. Well, let's consider Peter's confidence. You remember, just before Jesus was crucified, uh, Jesus got his disciples together and he sort of warned them that some bad things were going to happen. And Peter said this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33 to 35. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, this night, before the rooster crows, you shall deny me three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. And the, all the disciples said the same thing. That is Peter's great confidence. I will never fall away. Now, I bet some of you had that same feeling about yourself somewhere along the way. You started following Jesus and you said, I'm going to be... I'm going to belong to the Lord. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to act like Jesus wants me to act and live like Jesus wants me to live. And I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. Whatever it is, I'm going to do it. But even as Jesus tried to identify the inferior nature of Peter's confidence and his commitment, Peter's confidence surfaced again and he said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now tell me about your great confession. Tell me about that promise you made to the Lord all those years ago that you would be faithful. Have you followed through on your commitment? What about you graduates? Some, some of you said that to Jesus at an early age. But since you have said, like some of the rest of us, no, you said no to some of the claims of Christ upon your life. Now, I've brought you thus far through Peter's life to show you how God often allows us, and this is what I want you to understand, He allows us to discover 
the inferior nature of our own commitment and the incompleteness of our own surrender. And here is how that awareness came to Peter as we consider next Peter's great calamity. We've already talked about this several Sundays ago. That moment that Peter stood in the courtyard after Jesus had been arrested and he began to curse and swear and say, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Luke tells us that at that moment Jesus turned and looked at Peter and in that moment all of Peter's confidence came crashing down in that moment, Peter's commitment had been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Now what I'm just trying to tell you in this series of messages is that some of us have made a commitment to follow Jesus. Somewhere early in our life we said, Lord, I will follow you. But we have not said what our Lord deserves to hear. It is according to your word, my Lord, O King, I am yours in all that I have. And if the truth be known, you have had a similar experience in your life where you thought that you were a better Christian than that and something happened and you fell on your face, you embarrassed yourself, perhaps your Lord and your incomplete, inferior commitment came to the surface. You realized your absolute helplessness and had to admit, and here it is, I have not lived a holy life. I wonder how many of you could say that today with, 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 with a truthful voice. I have not lived a holy life. And regardless of how hard you try or how many times you try, and in spite of the sincerity in which you try, that calamity, which may not only have occurred, but may occur again and again and again in your life, causes you to realize your absolute defeat, and you would admit, not only I have not lived a holy life, but I am quickly learning I cannot live a holy life, and ultimately you need to realize that unless the Lord Himself does a work in your life, you will never live a holy life. So this was Peter's great calamity, his great failure, and he realized that uh, he was a failure. So perhaps the Lord has brought you to, to that point in your life. You, you know, that's why many people get frustrated in the Christian life. They, they say, I just can't do it. I, I can't do it. I, I can't be. That's why some people won't come to Christ. Because at least they're honest enough. I have great respect, by the way, for the man who says, I'm not going to make that decision until I know that I can live up to it. I have great respect for a man like that. Who will be honest enough to say, I've seen other men make a decision to follow Christ, and I've seen them fall flat on their face, and I don't want to do that. If I'm going to do it, at least I want to be real, and I want to follow through, and I want to be the man I ought to be. The problem with those men is they haven't yet realized and they can't understand it, they can't do it. You can't do it. Nor were you ever intended to do it. And that's what this series is all about. Now let me show you great, Peter's great conversion. Now what's that all about, you say? Well, here it is. Jesus told Peter, 
when he was warning him about this calamity that was coming in his life. He's warning him, there's a moment in your life when you're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to hit the ground hard. And you're going to be crushed by your own failure. Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, he said, Simon, Simon, that was Peter's other name, you remember, Simon, Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. That's an interesting statement, is it not? That does not mean, by the way, that Peter was not saved. However, it does mean that there was a significant work yet to take place in Peter's life that had not taken place. And so that significant work, we can't look at it in detail. That great conversion, that great transformation took place in Peter's life and in James' life and in uh, the rest of the, John's life, the rest of the disciples' life, it took place on the day of Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if you look in the books, book of Acts, you'll find from that day on, Peter was never the same. A change came over his life that he could have never made by the strength of his own commitment. You remember what Samuel told Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul, who was going to be the first king of Israel, as Samuel talked to King Saul, who was a very shy individual, he might have wondered how he would ever be what God wanted him to be. And Samuel said, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you will be changed into another man. The radical transformation of a man or a woman's life comes about only as a work of God's Holy Spirit in a life absolutely surrendered to Him. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the work that happened in the disciples' life was not a work of their own commitment. They didn't say on that day, we're going to be better men. They'd already tried that and failed. What happened on that day was a work of the Spirit within them as they yielded themselves to the Lord in absolute surrender. Now, here's the question. Did Peter have the Spirit before the day of Pentecost. Oh yes. Peter possessed the Spirit before the day of Pentecost. But the Spirit did not possess Peter. And after that moment, Peter could say with the rest, with the rest of the disciples, It is according to your word, my Lord, O King, I am yours and all that I have. Now, if frustration and failure have been your teacher in the Christian life, and sometimes frustration and failure are our teachers, it may be that the Lord is trying to show you your need of absolute surrender. Let me define absolute surrender for you. First, absolute surrender is a sense of your own helplessness where you come to express the truth. I cannot live a holy life. Second, it is an admission of defeat. I have not lived a holy life. I think those two admissions in the life of the church is the greatest thing that we could do as people to be honest with one another and honest before God. I have not lived a holy life. 
I cannot live a holy life. And finally, absolute surrender is resignation to the will of another. If I ever live a holy life, it will be in and through the power of another's will and working and not that of myself. What I need must come from outside of myself, from one more able than me, and to know his strength, to know his strength, I must give myself to him in absolute surrender. An old author of long ago whose name was Andrew Murray said, the condition for obtaining God's full blessing is absolute surrender to him. If you've ever read My Utmost for His Highest, uh, Oswald Chambers uses the term, the term abandon. He uses it over and over. And sometimes you read it in one. What's he talking about by abandon? Being abandoned to God. He's talking about saying, It is according to your word, my Lord, O King. I am yours in all that I have. Is there anybody here who could say that this morning? Any of us who could say that? God, everything I have is yours. I'm yours totally and completely. I'm yours to send me to Africa to be a missionary or to India or to China. I'm yours to do with as you will. My life is yours at your disposal. It is according to your word. Let me give you one final illustration and I'll close. I have time to give it and I've got time to give it. In the 1990s, a man named Herman Brandt came to America in search of wealth. He had served as a safari guide in Africa. He lived in South Africa. He was a crocodile Dundee type character whose exploits and accent earned him a hearing uh, with the hunting crowd. In 1996, he moved to the town where I was pastor. And his reputation quickly spread through the community, especially in the drinking establishments where he'd go and talk about big game hunts and people would come and listen to him. Herman had grown up uh, in South Africa. His parents had been Lutheran missionaries. But he had absolutely no interest in the things of God. As a matter of fact, he'd been running from God for most of his life. But God, as God often does, God interrupted his escape and captured his heart. I had the great privilege of baptizing Herman and watching him grow in his passion and pursuit of God. I'll never forget the early days of his commitment. I have never seen a man to this day with the depth of passion for God that he had in the early days after his conversion. He came to America to get rich, but instead he found God. As a matter of fact, the way he was going to get rich was through Amway. Some of you know about Amway. Maybe you're in Amway. And Amway handed out those leather-bound books, you know, that had pictures of cars and diamond rings and houses and things that you could accomplish if you were a good salesman. And so before he met the Lord, Amway was going to be his path to prosperity. And so one day when Herman was having his devotions, and he had his devotions every day, his time with the Lord, he was one I could truly say at that point who could say, it is according to your word, my Lord, O King, I am yours and all that I have. But on that day, he got distracted away from his devotion. And he went and picked up his leather-bound Amway book. And he began to thumb through it. And he began to look at all those things. that That's the way the devil distracts you. Drawing you away from what's important. And he said, after I finished, I went back to my devotions. And he said, the Lord was gone. He said, that sense of the Lord's presence that I had had before was gone. 
He took that leather-bound Amway book and he threw it in the fireplace. And he said, Lord, I don't want that. I want you. You are what I want more than anything else. And so he completely separated himself from the influence of his, of, of his past so that he might belong to the Lord. I want to ask you a question. What is it in your life that you need to toss in the fire before the fire of God will burn in you? The day must come in the life of every true believer when you say, It is according to your word, my Lord, O King. I am yours and all that I have. Let's pray together. Lord, there are a variety of people sitting here today, all of us at different levels in our own commitment. Some of us have been more committed in the past than we are today. Some of us made great promises like Peter and great calamity has come into our life. We've yielded to some temptation or some influence that's drawn us away from you and now we're less than what we were. And yet, God, your claim is still hanging over our heads. The call of Christ to absolute surrender is still in play and we must answer it. We must. We have no choice. You are the greater king. And Lord, today you speak to each individual heart. And Lord, I know that today there's some people who sincerely would like to follow you as Savior if they could pull it off and live the life and they know they can't. And, and they're, they're right, Lord, they can't. You're going to have to do a work in them. It's not a work that they can do. It's only a work that you can do as they bow at your feet and say, Lord, here I am. Please change me. Please take my life and use me. And Lord, at this invitation time, I pray that you would be honored by our decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing? Oh, thank you.